pray the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe it, give me an amen. amen. One to let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. And that is what God will do for you again today. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I like to say this every time. Expect healing if you are not feeling well. Especially if it's something you don't know what to treat or what is even wrong. Just expect the word to come locate what the problem is and solve it. And that's what we all experience today in Jesus' name. Whether you are physically here, no matter where you are joining us from, the only thing I ask is what? Pay attention. Maybe you are listening to this on your phone. You are using your device to join us by Facebook or YouTube. Those are the ones that people use the most. All right? Or MixLR. All right, so we have a lot of people on Mixer, a few people on Twitter. All right, just pay attention. Go somewhere, lock everybody else out. All right, don't fall asleep. Stand if you have to and look at that screen. Plug something in your ears and pay attention. That is an infusion of the spirit you are collecting. Sometimes they give drugs, they put inside an infusion, they tell it run for 30 minutes, run for two hours. This one's going to run for about two hours. Pay attention, it's an infusion. Amen. God will do something great in your life in Jesus' name. Amen. A bright, bright, godly idea will come into somebody's heart. Amen. An idea will come, it may not even appear bright, but it's God's idea. It, is, it will be planted as a, a seed, and the fruit will manifest Amen. in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. This is what salvation is. We have been looking at that for a while, and I think now I feel confident that we, are, we can start rounding off. So today might be the last or next time, but definitely not more than three added to what we have already. I hope it's not going to be more than that so that we can look at um, some other things. I have another message already burning in my heart. Okay? That's one of the ways I know that we, we have gone far. When another thing has started and it's cooking already. You know, when something you are cooking, the pot is already getting up. The lid of the pot to rise up. Uh-huh. That's what's going on right now in my heart concerning the next thing we are supposed to teach. All right? I believe that God will bless that. So let's get this one over with, and then let's get into the next one. So we are looking at what salvation is. We have looked at so many things. What I want to talk about today has to do with the hope of, or let me say, the future of salvation. The future of salvation. We explained that salvation comes in three um, chronological types. There's salvation in the past, both in our individual lives and in the world generally. That is, Jesus died for us. That was about 2,000 and something years ago. He died. You believed in him yesterday, last year, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. No matter how long you have believed in him, that salvation part, that is that initial part is concluded. And what did God attain in that? He attained for you us reconciliation. We have been brought back to the Father. 
we have returned to the house. We're prodigal children, so to speak. Now we have come back. We have been reunited. Righteousness has been granted to us. Righteousness is not a result of works. Righteousness is a result of faith. Once you believe in the Lord Jesus, you are declared righteous. It is not what you have done. That belief, that faith is accepted as work. What must we do that we might work the works of God? He said the work of God is that you believe. So once you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are righteous. Now you start doing the works of righteousness. The works of righteousness do not make you righteous. Righteousness comes to you first. And that gives you the ability to do the work of righteousness. Remember that. Okay? You are not righteous because of the work that you have done. You are righteous because of the faith that you have had in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, because of the righteousness, you now start doing the works of righteousness. The Bible says you were created for good works, which he, in time past, ordained that you should walk in them. So you see, righteousness is first before you are able to do the works of righteousness. And remember, there's something we quote all the time. If you have that magazine, it is inside there. Uh, for those who don't know it, on our second page, what we declare when we want to start praying, that we enter into the presence of the Father as renewed children of God. Now, the next uh, clause is what I want to say. We have not come in the power of the good works which we have done. We have come only because of the grace and mercy we have in Christ Jesus. Now, when we come to prayer, we don't come to prayer with anything in mind that we have done. Please, you know, I know we said it many times, but you know, you can't say these things enough. Don't accidentally, mistakenly, you know, or you overlooked to forget. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> you come to God and you're feeling righteous. You're feeling good. Especially maybe after two days of rural evangelism. Of which you slept in the, an old classroom. You slept, you know, on ordinary, you know, floor, mat floor. And then you preached and the villagers believed. And you know, you've come back feeling like John the Baptist. You, you know, you are feeling like Jeremiah. You are feeling like Philip the Evangelist. You are feeling like John on the island of Patmos. You are feeling like Jesus on the cross who just finished. <laughs> you are feeling like everything. So when you kneel down to pray, Father, I want to thank you. Now, you know, I've been asking you about a new job. You know, suddenly you have confidence to ask about a new job. That is how never to get it. That is how never to get it. You know, that feeling of righteousness is very dangerous. If you have that feeling, you know what you do? Get on your knees and say, Lord, please, I just want to confess something to you. Say, what is it? You know, this work we did in the last two days, this rural rugged that we did, I won't lie to you, it made me feel good. And good feeling is good. But the problem now is that he's making me feel empowered to pray. I want to say I'm sorry. It's just a, it's a childish feeling. Overlook it because you are my loving father. Then he will forgive you because you need forgiveness for that thought. You need to be forgiven for having that thought at all. You know, you, you want to settle down and say, now, we can ask God for anything. If we, if we say, money come, it will come. Why? You're feeling very righteous. It's a sin. What did I call it? Sin. Call it the way it is. What is it? Sin. It's a sin. You are walking in iniquity. You have come in the power of the good works which you did. It's not allowed. Anytime you come to God in prayer, you get on your knees. Say it. There's no need to pretend it. Say it. I'm not worthy myself. 
No matter what I have done, I'm not worthy in myself. I'm here only because you are good. I'm here only because you forgive sins. Because no matter how I want to check it, you don't, there's more you haven't done than you have done. And what you have not done is a sin. And if you were to number iniquity, even John the Baptist wouldn't stand. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So don't ever forget it. No matter how righteous you are feeling, confess that righteousness. If it's in the works you have done, confess it away. Say, God, please, don't mind me. Just forgive me. You don't ever come in the power of the good works you have done. Righteousness is by faith. You can come. You can come boldly. It's just that it must not be in the power of yourself or the good works which you have done. You can come boldly. Boldness is part of it. But your righteousness is not based upon what you have done. It's based upon what God did for you in Christ Jesus. So that's why we wrote in our declaration. We have come only because of the grace and mercy which you have in Christ Jesus. So those who have done things for the Lord and those who have not done, they have the same power to request. Those who have sowed their seeds and those who have not sown seeds, they have the same power to request. If you are a giver and you think God will answer you specially, you are a sinner. You are trying to you are getting what I'm saying. <laughs> if you are a giver and you think God will answer you specially, you are a sinner. Let me just remind you, uh, warn you, caution. Like they say, buyers beware. Don't let your pastor deceive you. I have colleagues in ministry who preach differently. What they are saying is not true. You've heard it said, you come. You know, with the, the, the stubs of the check, when we used to do checks. This is, do people still do checks? Some people would never agree to change. You know, some people, some human beings are stubborn. Their stubbornness is spelled with two double S, that's double S, capital, twice, S, S, for they put the T. I don't think I've written up to two checks personally in the last two years. I don't think so. If I give you a check, then I'm suspecting you. <laughs> so I want to write, I want to write ten commandments at the back of the check, so that once you draw it, you know. Anyway, that's just by the way. So those days of checks, they say, take the stubs of the checks and show it to God. You know the way it is. Say, Lord, this was the work of God. This check was for the foundation. This one was for the roofing. This was for the air conditioning. You put it down before the Lord like that, and then you pray. You've heard this said. You know that's what Jesus used to say. You have heard this said. But I say to you, try that you will be injured. But I say to you, that is walking in sin. Your righteousness is, you know what you have done? You came to God and brought dirty socks, old notebooks, and said, God, bless me because of my dirty socks. It's like what? Filthy rags in his presence. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. Don't bring it. Don't bring it. Don't bring it. Don't bring it. It's filthy. Don't bring it at all. Why God answers you is because you pray in one way. And that is how? In the name of Jesus. 
So that is, we're talking about salvation past. That is the first part of salvation. It's accomplished in an instant. You are declared righteous in an instant. In an instant, you are reconciled. In an instant, you are declared righteous. In an instant, your sins are forgiven. In an instant, you that was no separate from God, you have now been reconciled to him. In an instant. So the word reconciliation is ideal to describe that. That's one part of salvation. That is salvation past. That is salvation in the past tense. But it's the second part of salvation which I took time out to explain. Which some use the expression, and I had to borrow it, progressive sanctification. Some have said that sanctification is in an instant. No. It can't be. that. Of course, if you want to use the word sanctification, because sanctification means separation also. So the fact that I'm no longer in the world, I've not been brought into Christ. If you want to use sanctification to describe that, it's also correct. We just don't want to mix our terminologies up too much. All right? So if you want to say that, we'll accept it. And in that case, that's also salvation past. But there is a progressive sanctification in which Christ is being formed. It's a process in us. In which these qualities are becoming ours and are what? Increasing. In, in, in which Paul is saying we are cleansing ourselves of all defilement of flesh and spirit. In which we are perfecting. It's a process. Holiness. I've quoted uh, Peter. I've quoted uh, Paul. You understand? So all these apostles, they understood it. Jesus taught it to them. In which we are being washed with the washing of water by the word regularly on a daily basis. In which John now said that finally it will come to an end one day. In which we see him as he is. They will become exactly like him. Progressive sanctification. That is progressive sanctification. That's what we mean. Please, let's never mix our terminologies. Don't get into unnecessary arguments. If somebody wants to say, sanctification is not progressive, just don't argue. Just say, please. Um, is Christ being formed regularly on a better, that is, in a higher note, daily in my life? If the answer is yes, then what are we arguing about, over? Am I going to be a better Christian next year than I am today? The answer is yes. So what are we arguing over? Am I perfect now in all my attributes? If you, are, you say no, should I remain in this imperfect state by next year? The answer is no. So you agree I'm getting better. So we call that progressive sanctification. We've dealt with that, all right? Now, there's one part of it, which is what? Salvation in the future. And that's what I want to go into today. That's another part of salvation. Salvation, that's what I meant by the hope. What is the future of salvation? Where are we going to get to? What is the ahead of us? That's what we're going to get into today. And I want to begin that by reading from, um, we have a number to, we can use. First Corinthians 15. Before we read it, let me just say some, something again. If you have not listened to our series on Ecclesiastes, first let me just apologize. The book is supposed to be out by now, but I just have not finished putting it together. But, you know, I think it's a series you should listen to. Just go to our website, The Book of Ecclesiastes. That's the title of the series. It's about 13 messages, 12, 13, 14 messages. Please, I'm recommending you listen to this series. Of all the messages I have taught, I think it's quite unique. Yes, it is. All right? I don't want to say it's the best, it's the most anointed. We'll, we'll get more anointed by the day. Amen? I mean, if the one I preached four years ago is most anointed, I have a problem. 
<laughs> Do you follow what I'm going to say? So the one we're preaching this year, what happened to the anointing? In fact, let me tell you the truth. The most anointed message I've preached is this year's zone. Amen? Amen? Yes. Whether you feel like it or not, I don't care. That's what I have made up my mind. <laughs> if, 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 I mean, if the most anointed is like five years ago, is that not what they call backsliding? Small, small. You don't they go back, you will not know. <laughs> no, the most anointed is the one I will preach this last month. Amen? Uh, just say amen with me now. Amen. Thank you. Uh-huh. Just, just make me feel anointed. All right. The Lord is good. <laughs> now, the point I'm just trying to make is that that message is very unique, and I really recommend you go and listen to it. I asked you to listen to it also because, you see, it's such a deep, you know, I'm not, I'm not much of a philosopher. I don't read much philosophy. The person that has introduced me mostly to philosophy is um, our brother that died recently, which is Ravi Zacharias. All right? So he's the one that got, got my mind interested in those things when I listened to him. I did... There's a period I listen to him extensively, all right? And I still do that once, once in a while. Now, philosophers, okay, Derek Prince also, he doesn't teach much philosophy, but he refers to his days when he was a philosopher. And philosophers try to find meaning for life, all right? And why are they looking for meaning for life? Should I tell you the truth? Because life is meaningless on the surface. On the surface, life is meaningless. Life is meaningless. It's mean. Listen, Oswald Chambers used the word tragic to describe life. He said life is tragic. Life is very meaningless in itself, and that's why people created a whole specialty in trying to look for meaning in life. And many times we don't realize these problems because God has solved it for us. If God has solved the problem for you, you may not even realize it exists. Do you follow what I'm trying to say? It happens. God has solved a problem for you. You don't even know that problem exists at all. Life in itself is very meaningless. One of the reasons why I don't even need to read any book on philosophy is because Solomon wrote a fantastic one. In fact, why I decided to do the teaching on Ecclesiastes was because I was doing a lot of observing life, of course. I do a bit of reading here and there. And then, of course, people like Ravi introduce us to philosophy, the thoughts, at least. And then, so I now realize some of the things people have been, you know, worried over. One day I was studying Ecclesiastes, and I found them right inside there. I saw the struggles. Sometimes once I was investigating, I found that a lot of Hollywood, you know, famous people, you know, music stars, they delve into New Age, Christian science, and all kinds of non-Christian things. All right? Christian science, I hope you know it's not Christian. All right, just the name is just Christian science. It's not Christian at all. It's not Christian the way you know it. All right, so I see all them delve into all of those things. I see them delving into good works. They go into dangerous places to go and be helping clear landmines. They go to war zones. They go to refugee camps in difficult parts of the world. These are people that own a lot of. They have a lot of money. They own private jets and stuff like that. And you see them struggling. They'll be adopting babies from everywhere. You go to Tibet, adopt a Tibetan orphan. You go to Somalia, get a Somali baby. You go anywhere there's trouble. You just look for an orphaned baby. And then so sometimes you look at it and say, This is good people, these people are good, you know, in their hearts. These are good people. Now I'm not trying to say anybody is bad. I'm just trying to say that does not mean anybody is good. Because sometimes you don't know the problem somebody is facing. 
frustration can make you do good. You wake up in the morning, your life is just useless. And you have money. So you start doing good to give yourself purpose. You know, money can be a bad thing. When you are poor, money is a good thing. You will think. But there are those that God gave so much money, they look at money and say, this thing is a problem. There's a quote I quote all the, you know, I, I repeat once in a while from the mouth of one of the sons of Paul Getty, who at the time was the world's richest man. He said, money was a curse to our family. That our father had so much money, it was a problem. That if we had a choice, we would rather the man was poor. We will spend so much time struggling to stay alive, we will not be able to go into all those vices. One of the richest men in the world till now, I've forgotten which one of them, so I will not tell you the name. Not because I'm trying to hide it, but just can't remember which one of them said it, okay? He said he's going to give out almost all his money before he dies. He said, I don't want to give my children the disadvantage of having too much money. He said it's a disadvantage. I'm, this, I'm talking about, as of today, the, whoever said this, as of today, he's still among the top seven richest men in the world, or, or at least top ten. He said, you give children this amount of money, they will go mental. That's a problem. He said, I don't want to do it to my children. The children have money, it's not that they are poor and, ever, and, and stuff like that. But that he said, no, no, too much money is not good. Life can be so meaningless, that is, money will just make life meaningless for you. You don't know that sometimes lack is an incentive to stay alive. You just wake up in, you don't understand. It gives you reason to get up. Gives you reason to go out. Gives you reason to work. And what you don't know is that in that process of work and benefiting somebody, the life force from God is being injected into you. You are becoming a person of purpose. You think, look, God is very wise. Many of the prayers you are praying, God says, if I answer you, you won't live long. I will withdraw some spiritual things from you that's keeping you going. You start falling sick, you won't know why. You think doctors have found out the, the, the um, what do you call it, the cause of most sicknesses? They haven't. Confusion every day in what we call medicine. Every day, you know, <laughs> was it yesterday or this morning? My classmates posted something. One long supercomputer analysis of coronavirus. They said the analysis was done by the second most comp- powerful computer in the world. So I read through it, and I just, I just shook my head. I said, you will believe this. I said, I don't believe it. I said, whoever wrote this wants to confuse us by saying they did the analysis, genetic analysis, with a supercomputer, the second most powerful computer in the world, and I did the work over two days to tell you how difficult it was. I said, hey, you think it impresses me? At the end, you, you've generated more questions than answers. To prove what I was saying right to them, I said, okay, why did he not tell us why the thing was not killing many Africans, but it's wiping people out in Europe? I said, I said the, the computer couldn't find that one out. The truth is that, you know the truth, we don't know. The, the amount of theories, one fellow tagged me on Twitter. He said, Pastor Mark, he said this was going to happen. When analysis start on why this coronavirus just didn't shake Africa the way they say it would. They even say poverty must be the reason. <laughs> you, you know, you see them, BBC. All kinds of theories. They wrote theories. One says, because the people, they are not old. They are too young to die. I said, eh. 
You know, at the beginning, I said, when God has showed you mercy, people will find physical explanations. So one guy tagged me on Twitter. I said, Pastor Banky said this will happen. And I just burst into laughter. Because we really don't know. And you know why we don't know? Because we don't check in the right places. Once you have made up your mind that the answer is genetic, you will stay on genes forever. Once you make up your mind, the answer is in the diet. You will be in diet forever. Okay, if you expand your mind better, you say it's gene and diet and other things in the environment. You combine all of this, it's all still physical. But God says, no, when I issue a command, you've not researched into the instructions from above. Life, listen, on the physical level, life is very, very, let me use the word of Oswald Chambers again, it's very tragic. There's nothing in it. No matter what looks nice now, it excites you for a few days. If you were trekking before, when you get your first car, you'll be so excited. After six months, you'll get back with the same feeling you used to have. So you get a bigger one. It lasts and again for another few weeks. After a while, no matter what you add to it, you don't even get the kick anymore. Solomon will say, you see, you have found out it's all vanity. Vanity upon vanities. All is vanity. It's like chasing after the wind. Please, let's bear this in mind. That's exactly what life is. But many of us don't realize because God has, well, two things. Let me talk about the second one. Let me forget the first one. Because God has solved that problem for us. Well, the first one is that sometimes we have so many small, small problems, we have not yet been able to look into the vanities of life. Do you get my point? All right, that's, that's the first one. I didn't want to discuss that again. But the second one is that God has solved so many of those problems for us. And that's what we're talking about, salvation. Solomon sat down, went through the frustrations of life, and found out that life is pure vanity if you don't have God inside it. Many people you call sinners. You know what is, what is sin in them? It's frustration. They are just trying to get meaning for life. Let me digress again and help young people. Please, be very careful who you are following. Do you get my point? Be very careful who you are following. I told you, I read, read, read a book long ago, titled, Please Love Me. And the woman, next, the young lady she was when she, the story began, but when she was writing, she was already a woman, of course. There are many of the people she was following, she did not know what was their problem. She copied acts she did not know the meaning of until she got into trouble. She did not know people were dying for attention. You thought they were showing off, you know, it was fashion. No. That is why they get more daring by the day. There's one particular woman, I can't remember her name. Okay, it's, it's Paris Hilton. All right? It's the other person I can't remember. One day she got drunk. I don't know how drunk, but she had an accident with her, her car and police arrested her. And you know, for people like that, Everything is news. And for your information, they will do anything for news. Many of the things you see them doing is not bad habit. It's a way of getting attention. They get into a fight with their husband on the, beside the road. It's because nothing has happened in our life in the last three months. So nobody is talking about us on Twitter. Instagram, no action. We are not generating any problem on Facebook. You have to see the name was connected with something. So, you know what happened to this particular lady? 
So Paris Hilton had an issue. So people were talking about it, the police mug shot, everything. Of course, every time you watch news, some people analyze what really happened. Was she really drunk? What percentage of alcohol did they find in her body? Was there drugs with it? You know, all kinds of analysis. She's very happy. Why? You're talking about me. So her friend looked and said, ah, sure. What's going on here? This life is not fair. They're talking about this lady. What about me? So she went and got drunk, drove her car, and jumped something. And nobody noticed. <laughs> Just one or two reports, and that was the end of it. There was one Nigerian girl I saw on something. I don't know how I stumbled into the story, but I felt sorry for her. Yeah, the people were yapping her, you know, insulting her. Then I interviewed her. You know what happened? She went to pose nude. This is Nigeria. We don't do crazy things like that. We have our own level of madness, so. But that one is not, it's not one of the things we like to do to generate attention. If you do that in Nigeria, either you're already mad or we decide you are mad and we ignore you. We won't buy your album because of it. You won't get Twitter followers because of it because we don't have that number of mad people trying to follow people. Abroad, people will follow you. Say, ah, champion nudists. They will start following. Like, 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 like. Follow, 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 follow. This poor girl said, she went and posed nude and posted the pictures. Then I asked her, why did she do that? You have to do something to make you notice. Unfortunately, by the time I was reading the story, everybody had forgotten. In fact, most people never heard about it. I said, poor girl, but the picture is permanently in cyberspace. I know what he gained for it? Nothing. Zero. Album did not sell. By the time you need that to sell an album, you can't sing anyway. Career is over now. The story I'm telling you must happened like seven years ago. I said, now, I don't even know her name. You don't know her name. What does that tell you? That face don't die. If you post new, now nobody will even know. You say, oh, I'm not crazy person. Can't. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord is good. What am I trying to say? So be careful you follow young people. Many of them, there's something they are looking for which you have already. You, you wouldn't imagine. How can a woman that has these hundreds of millions of naira be needing something that I have? You wouldn't believe it, but as a matter of fact, that's what they are looking for. Wake up in the morning and you are happy. You wake up in the morning, somebody actually loves you. Your family misses you if they don't see you for some days. If you are sick, somebody will actually come to hospital to come and stay with you, even though you have nothing to give them. They don't have it. Everybody that comes is paid. Or came to take a picture so that they can say that they were there. No, no personal love from, they look, they are looking for it. But you know, it's hard for you to believe. It's hard. You just say, no, 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 no. There must be something. There's nothing. There's nothing that they are looking for that you don't have. But they make you think differently because every time they show up in pictures, they've been airbrushed. They put, there's a, a joyful mood. They can put it, you know, it's not a filter they call them. Can put a joyful filter on it. So you think the girl is happy? She ain't happy. She does not even herself. The body of that day is the body of three weeks ago. The face was the face of last week. The only one that's new there is the hair. So after they took the picture, they look say, ah, sis, this, your face of today is not good. They cut face of two weeks ago. And this one, that she did not dress up before taking the picture properly. So they cut body of last month. So anytime you see a picture of a celebrity like that, it's a mixture of all kinds of things. 
to attain something that you already have. You're already happy. You have friends that will rally around you for nothing. They're not getting anything. They just want to see you happy. They really love you from the bottom of their hearts. The way I like to illustrate it a lot is Michael Jackson's case. To sleep, they were paying that doctor over $200,000 a month to make him sleep. You think it's a different kind of sleep? No, it's not a different kind of sleep. He's trying to attain the type I have. The one that is, what I, you come for Bible study, you'll be praying, Father God, I will not do so today. <laughs> is it same, I'm telling you, is it same sleep somebody's looking for? That's you see, you see some kinds of fashion, crazy fashion. Women go do fashion, no, saute. This year they will match color, next year they will pink the colors. That it must riot. The men too now started. You now see men with green trousers, black shoes, and the trousers must be thin and short, and pink socks. <laughs> you know, you're shaking your head. What is going on here? <laughs> you want to know the source? Confusion. That's all. So don't follow. That's the point I'm making. Don't follow them. Back to where I began from. I said I was just digressing to help young people. All right? Just learn what is right. Follow after righteousness. Let the godly ones in the land be your heroes. Let the godly ones be your heroes. Let the godly ones be your heroes. Very, very important. So, that's where we should open somewhere. Okay, so, Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes to address the fact that life is so meaningless. And I'm saying to us, what is salvation? Is giving meaning to life. Jesus actually gives meaning to life. As a matter of fact, it's on record that Christians die differently. Yeah, Christians, they die, the way they die is very different. That if, if you, in fact, there was one man, I, I heard the story, I think it was David Poston that told the story, that wrote letters when he was terminally ill to all, I think his relatives, they should come. Come and see a Christian die. They come and stay with him till he dies. That Christians are known. I don't know how factual this is, but it said that those days, even when they threw them to the lions, you found them dead. And you had, they had a smile on their face. And it's in the Bible like that. You think this man was frowning when he was dying? Stephen? Hit me, hit me, hit me. No. He wasn't looking there anymore. He was having what? Visions. He was seen into heaven. As a matter of fact, Christians are known for dying happy. And it's not just about faith. Now, I want you to understand something here. The foundation is faith. But beyond faith, they see visions terminally. Before the body is separated from the soul. Do you get my point? In the last moment, before the control of what we call the spirit man, which is, of course, like I discussed last time, mostly the soul part, all right? Let's just say soul and spirit before it leaves. Before it disconnects its control over the body, the fellow is already seen into a different realm. And so, when he's happy, the body, for the last few seconds, responds to the joy. Do you get what I'm trying to say? The, re- the body responds to the joy. So, just before he dies, 
Just before she passed away finally, she has a, not a vision now, not a vision. She walks into a different realm and he sees long lost relatives because sometimes God grants that for such people to welcome the individual. Familiar faces. No, that's not a joke. Yeah, familiar faces. So you get there and see your dad. And he says, hey, Fred. You're on the air, so. You didn't know when you shot. The ah! high you shot like this. I saw you, they smile like they just die for there. You have not seen Jesus yet. They're just normal people. Sometimes Jesus comes by himself. Come. You see him finally. You didn't even grant a small vision on the earth, but don't worry. We are, we for, I forgive you. <laughs> this one I'm seeing right now, it has made up for everything. You see your brother, your sister, people that left you long ago, you thought you would never see again. I love this man's story, John G. Lake. Even in life, you understand, God granted people like him visions of heaven. If I can again tell a story in which I think it's his sister. Okay, oh yeah, he had a prophecy that he's going to have a particular kind of experience. So months later, he had that experience. He was caught up to heaven. And he saw his sister. And they had the chat. Say, oh, I, I met grandma, my uh, grandma. She said this and did that. Ah, that not mention another of their relatives that died long ago. Um, that is, um, I think, a, a lady. And I said, I didn't tell her that her husband has remarried, though. Did you get that? She said, no, I didn't tell her that her husband has remarried. <laughs> because the husband remarried before she died. So she had all the information. They don't know everything. It's not everything. that they, they, don't, they don't have that capacity to be monitoring everything on the earth. But they get there and they gist with people. Real human beings. Life doesn't end here. It doesn't. And so God often grants those visions to dying Christians. So they die happy. They can't have regrets. There's too much to be joyful over when they cross over to the other realm. So when they look at life, when we, not they now, when we Christians look at life because of a knowledge of things that are real in the heavens, we have no choice but to face this earth with joy in our hearts. I hope you're getting my point here. Yes, we do have the joy. Life, therefore, is not meaningless for us because suddenly we understand life. We realize it's a staging platform that is a stage in which we are just being purified. We are going through experiences. It, it, it might appear like, okay, for to the man who does not know there is heaven, who does not have, is, or is afraid of what will happen after now, and just by the way, they should be. What did I say? They should be. If you don't know Christ Jesus, you should be afraid. You should be afraid. If you don't know, tell anybody that doesn't know Christ Jesus. No, I, I, there are people I know, classmates, acquaintances, and all of that. <laughs> I see their behavior. There's some particular guy I have in mind. I tell my wife that this guy is afraid. He's afraid to die. That, I don't know whether I get my point. You see, the way he responds to some things, I just pinch my wife. I said, this guy is afraid to die. And I don't mean afraid to die. I say, you don't want to leave your wife and children behind. I mean, I don't want to leave my wife and children behind. Like I said to my wife, one of my prayers, God, they have a saying in Western Nigeria that, uh, that uh, maybe like a prayer, please follow me to where I will not be afraid. You know that, what that means? 
know what that means? You never had that experience? Like you send a little boy to your friend's house to go and get something. He's supposed to walk alone back home. So an, an older person will follow him to a point, then stop, then watch him till he gets to your house. Say, so yeah, they have followed you, they have escorted you to where you will not be afraid. In life, there's a prayer like that in Western Nigeria. That you will escort your people to where they will not be afraid. So I, I like to do that. Anybody depending on me for whatever it is, may God give me the, you know, the ability, the opportunity to escort them to where they will not be afraid. But that's not the kind of fear of death I'm talking about. There are those who are just scared. That after now, what happens to me? I know, as a matter of fact, they should be. They should be. Listen, whether you believe in afterlife or you don't, there is. You know what I said? The knowledge of gravity is not what makes gravity real. Whether you believe in it or not, there is a life after now. And if you are not prepared for it, you should be afraid, though. It is fearful. It's actually very dark if you don't know Christ Jesus. It is. It is very dark. It's a place you don't want to go into. You know the way small children can be very terrified of the dark? Even adults can be terrified of the dark. So is eternity without Christ terrifying for every individual. Now, there are those who believe that their good works will help them when they move over there. All right? So they do a lot of the good works. I read a tract many years ago. Somewhere they discussed so the story was inside the tract. And the title was, what does, How Much Does Good Weigh? Or How Much Does Sin Weigh? Can't remember which one of the boys. It was about weight of actions. And he said that, this is the basic doctrine I, I, I was told about Islam. You do, and many other religions in the world, actually. You do a lot, as much good works as possible, so that when you get down to judgment, they will weigh your good works, and then we do what? Weigh your bad works, and whichever one wins, you win. You know, if your good works win, what happens to you? You're free. If the bad works win, you're dead. Dying again. You get my point. <laughs> All right? But, but the fellow now said, okay, that sounds very reasonable. There's only one problem. You don't know what, what weighs. What I'm going to say is that, assuming I help the poor, what is the weight? Assuming I steal, what is the weight? Stealing is negative, right? Helping the poor is positive. But how much helping the poor, all right, how much do I need to do to counterbalance for one act of stealing? That's what the problem is. We don't know. And sometimes, let me give an example. Disobedience, Jesus said, is, God said is what? It's like the sin of what? Witchcraft. Now, you wouldn't have thought about it. Your father says do something, you do the opposite. You don't think you are a witch. The prophet says to Saul, do something, he does the opposite. doesn't think he's a witch. But someone said, it's like the sin of witchcraft. So the man said, that's where the problem is. Make a long story short. If you are hoping of coming into eternity, with that principle in mind, you have a bad, which word do I use now? You have a bad setup. Your preparation is bad. You are at a horrible disadvantage. Because you don't know how well you have done. You can't predict because you've done evil, you've done good, and from the Bible, I'm using our Bible as a reference, we know the Bible says that a little living, A little living. Living is a type of sin. He said living is a whole loaf. That is one sin can mess up your whole life. 
He said, one sinner destroys much good. If you read your Bible, sin is very powerful. And think think about it. Assuming there are six pillars in the house. You did four of them very well. You did two very badly. Would the house stand? It won't stand. It will not stand. Four good ones, it will still go down. To build a, a, a building of like, say, seven floors, big one, like the complex kind of we are in now, let's put seven floors. How long does it take? You have all the money, everything is moving fast. Two years, you can be done with it, right? To put it down, how long does it take? One day. What are you saying? You have enough. It's one day. One hour. Thank you. We know where to plant the explosives. At some critical pillars. Put it around. Boom. The whole thing is coming down. If you want to start again, another two years. Sin is very powerful. That's why nobody can hope to face God with his good works. Hoping they will counterbalance for the bad works. There is nothing like that. It doesn't work. So Pastor Delvan says something which I found so powerful. Say, whichever way you pass in life, say you can be anything you want, be a Hindu, be a Krishna follower, follow Guru Maharaj, be a Muslim, be whatever you want, and be a Christian. He said, You will get to God, whichever way. You can be a Buddhist, you will still meet God. He said, The only problem is this on what terms will you meet Him? He said, Every way you meet God, you have to face the judgment we have just described. Said the only person that exempts you from that judgment is Jesus Christ. Did you hear what I said? Yes, sir. The only person that if you come through him, you will meet God and they will not say, Where are your good works? Is Christ Jesus. They will say, Have you believed? And you say, Yes, I am in him. Automatically, they forgive all your sins and accept you into God's heaven. And you have passed out of judgment and you have passed into life. If you have to preach Christ to everybody, anybody, they say that, is Jesus the only way to the Father? They say, no, to, to God. No, it's not. To. There are all kinds of ways. There's an Islamic way. There's a Krishna way. There's a Buddhist way. There's a, this is Buddha said they are the natural way back, back to God. There's the Ekanka way. There's the great message way. There are so many ways. All of them have one thing in common. You will come and face judgment. Listen to me. A kind of judgment in which you can never win. The only one that is unique. The only one that which, in which you will not face judgment is through Jesus Christ. That's why we preach. Paul Ginando, I tell the story all the time. That's how I became a believer. He was from an Islamic background. And he saw a real miracle before his eyes. So he knew that Christianity was genuine. And why did he go? He said because they told him that Jesus forgives. That he was owing so much. If he went the normal Islamic way that he knew, he had to pay. He had not prayed five times a day for maybe the last two years. He was owing five times a day prayer times 365 times two. He was owing over 1,500 prayers. He felt anyway was okay, but they told him that Jesus forgives. So Jesus, if I believe, will have to say my prayer. Jesus said, no, just say thank you. I said, ah, that <laughs> said, Like the Americans would say, that's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer. I can easily make that decision. Listen to me, that's a matter of fact. That's what Christianity is. I'm talking about the hope of salvation. The salvation in the future. 
What does he give to us? He gives us the resurrection of the dead. Let's read where I said we should read. Where is that? Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't know Christ Jesus, this life is frightening. I don't know about you. Listen, if you are not afraid, you are, you are not thinking. Yes, you're not thinking. You know, you go and meet a 10-year-old telling me about economic uncertainties. You know, looking at you like, what are you talking about? What did he say is uncertain? Well, not, there are no reopening schools. That's the only economic uncertainty he knows. Whether school will open now or it won't open. And he doesn't care whether school opens or not, if he can be seeing his friends regularly. All this, uh, this one, children say that they, they should open school. It's friendship. It's those of you in university that want to graduate and get a job. But the little boy in primary four, I've not seen a maker in the last three months. Mommy, can we go and visit a maker, my friend? They say we should stay in our homes, lockdown. Mm. School should open. All his college school open. Easy play, easy play. Easy, you know, the friendship. Ah, what are you talking about? So imagine such people, you know, they can't think of economic uncertainty. Increasing the price of uh, fuel and um, power. Tariff, the tariff will pay on, on power. He doesn't understand so you now have to pay more on power. On power. I pay now. <laughs> two, two children were speaking. One, one said, Daddy, where do you get money from? The other one said, from the ATM, of course. That's a child talking to you. Two children are talking. One asked the father, Daddy, where do you get money from? The other one said, what do you mean? He goes to the ATM. That was the child's own. My friend said when he was young, his father said there's no money. He used to get worried. Worried as in, he used to get confused, not worried. That there's no money. Go to the bank. Like, why is daddy being lazy? Just to go to the bank. <laughs> he said that, he was telling me, that was all he understood. If there's no money, you go to the bank and collect money. That's why children don't understand this worry, worry thing. They don't understand it. Is, 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 is the father that's sitting down there, whether, when, is the, when is the rent due? So when you see adults that don't worry in quotes about life, sometimes they are, still child, they are still childish in their hearts. You will reach a point in life, you will actually ask yourself, what is life about? When I die, what happens to me? First Corinthians chapter 15, right? Let's start from verse 12. He said, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Some people are saying that actually. And one thing you must bear in mind that this matter of resurrection, Jesus did not play with it. He didn't play with it at all. He argued it clearly, proved it. Because the Sadducees said to him, well, the Sadducees said in Israel that there was no resurrection of the dead. That was what the Sadducees believed, that there's not that resurrection. Pharisees believed in that, in that they, Jesus sided with them. He did. He explained clearly to them. They told him the story. He said, no, you err. Not understand the scriptures or the power of God. You don't believe in the, the, the people who have died, that they are still alive? He said, how come God is called the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He said, is he the God of the dead? He argued it with them. 
and prove to them that you guys are, you are erroneous. You have erred in it. He did not pay with his resurrection. And for your information, Christianity, we don't preach enough about it, but we should. Resurrection is core. It's a core doctrine in Christianity. Resurrection of the dead is a core doctrine in Christianity. If your loved one dies, you ha- not only you have the right, you are expected to expect to see them again. You must not mourn, the Bible says, like those that do not have hope. As far as you are concerned, it will be a while. That's all you know. But that you will not see the fellow again, Paul said no. You don't sorrow like the people of the world. In Christianity, resurrection is a, is a fundamental doctrine. When I say fundamental, it must be a part of our existence. David Paul said something once. His wife was seriously ill. She had a tumor on the face. And the doctor said they were going to remove it. They were going to discover, they disfigure her face severely from, for the treatment. No, just so they know that it's not going to take that. So he just went and prayed to God and said, God, you have a choice of two. He took the law straight. You either heal her or you take her. That I don't want her disfigured. He said, I'll see her again. It was a matter of fact thing. That no, 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 no. Look, look, I won't see her for the next few years, but let her go. Then God healed her entirely. He said, I was not going to take the other option that like they'll cut her face to pieces like that. He said, no, I'm not taking that one. But to him, resurrection was real. It wasn't just an imaginary thing. He loved his wife, but he said, no, don't disfigure her for me. But some were not saying that there's no resurrection of the dead. Hmm. Paul didn't find that funny. He said, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, I'm in verse 13. Not even Christ has been raised. He said, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, and your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we are, he said, we witnessed against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. That is, without resurrection from the dead, there is no forgiveness of sins. He said, then those also who are falling asleep in Christ have perished. That is, they have disappeared entirely. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we have all men most to be pitied. But now, I'm going to get back to that verse 19. He said, but this is a fact. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep, that is who die physically. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. That is because Jesus rose again from the dead, all of us will rise again from the dead. Say amen. This fellowship is not only for Enugu. I don't know what I go on and say. We are here now. When I say fellowship now, I don't mean ministry. I mean me and you gathering together. It's not only now we will gather. 
I can say to you confidently, in 200 years' time, we'll gather like this again. Yes. Is, are we going to still be alive? What difference does it make? If we're alive, we'll gather in Enugu. If we are not, we'll gather in heaven, or the new heaven and the new earth, whatever it is. But gathering, we shall gather. There is a garden of the saints. And it's not a joke. It's not a joke. If your loved one passes on, you will see him or her again. I know the truth. You know, there are preachers who meet once in a while, they just, they change some things in you. You know, Sadhus are right. <laughs> that guy changed my reasoning about some things. He's one that tells stories of men who are 500 years old, and they are living in caves, they are living in strange parts of the earth, and what are they doing? They are praying. Listen, let me just tell you something there. Pray that God will give you understanding, so that you stop thinking that a Toyota Camry is life. I hope you're getting my point. Yes. God will give you understanding that stop thinking that six million naira balance your account is a dream come true. People have seen things, they don't mind those things. Get the little book, The Maharishi of Mount Kailash. You read things and then you wonder. A man like Sadhu Savaraj will tell you that John the Beloved, who used to rest on the bosom of Jesus, the man of Patmos is not dead till now. I have his video where he said, he said, John is still alive, and I have seen him before. Not me, I must say thank you, not me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as if it's a bad thing, brother John, don't be angry, because some of these men, they move around to strange places. He said, the Maharishi used to travel around to go and encourage churches. Pray with people. When he told the story, the time, the time of a Sadhusam that sing. Maharishi was over 300 years old, over 400 years old that time. Sadhusam that Singh has been dead for almost 100 years. Even that one said they don't know whether he died. They just stopped seeing him. Why am I telling this story? Was he the one that told this story? Or Neville Johnson? Neville Johnson told the story of once he was going somewhere. And a man stopped him like he saw somebody coming to give him a message. He was a prophet. And by the time the person stopped to talk to the person, who was he speaking with? I can't remember whether it was Jonah or what's the name? Is it Nahum? One of those funny prophets. Which one was it? Did he say it was? Okay, no, story. Was it him? Was that Neville Johnson or Sadhu that said it? That the Lord said, the man, like he was going to talk to him, wait, you know, calling out to him. So the fellow walked up to him and he met him on, introduced himself. He was one of the saints of old. Some of them still traveled around. In fact, one of them, that one is clear from scriptures, was the one that met John in Revelation and was showing him, the one that John wanted to bow down to worship. I said, no, don't. That was not an angel. It was one of the saints of old. There's a, there's a real life out there. Listen to me. That's why those who, like the Bible said, those who die in the Lord, they didn't die, they slept. It's one reason why God allows his saints, all right, to be martyred sometimes. That's one reason why he does that. I remember the story that I said, Pastor Corey told of somebody who called, he, he, he met, and the lady one day, she just heard the Holy Spirit just told her that, don't worry about your father, I will take care of him. 
and they, they live one of these you know, Bono State, one of those axes where these um, Islamists are really terrorizing people. And when the Islamists enter their home, their Christian home, and told the man to deny Jesus Christ. And they would let him go. And the man said, no. I can't do that. In case you are wondering, will I be able to do it? Let me just tell you ahead of time. You will. Amen. Say amen. amen. He said, Pastor Bank, you don't know me. I'm very happy you said that. I don't know you and I don't care about you. I care about the Holy Spirit. I hope you're getting my point. If truly you believe in Jesus Christ, there's something Jesus does. We don't have to be teaching all of these things now. You cannot deny Jesus if you really love him. If he wanted to do it, he will slap your mouth, fracture your jaw. I'm not kidding about it. I'm not joking. When they faced the fiery furnace, Mishael, Azariah, and Ananiah, and they said they should bow, otherwise they will burn. You know the story, they did not burn, did they die? Sorry, did they bow? No, they didn't bow. Then what happened? Nebuchadnezzar had them thrown into the furnace. And how many people did he see there? Four. A fourth man. Added to the three he threw in. Now what I want you to understand, when they brought them out, how many did they bring out? So how many went in? How many came out? Now I want to ask you the question again. How many went in? How many went in? How many came out? No. How many went in? How many came out? The fire only allowed you to see the last person. Once they outside the fire, he's invisible. Once you go back in the fire, you will see him. I don't know whether you got that revelation. That is deep. The one I just gave you now is deep revelation. There were four people. All the while, Nebuchadnezzar was backing, backing, backing. Woo, woo, woo. I will bite somebody. <laughs> the dog tamer was there looking at Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, I God see has use for you, otherwise I fracture you. That's why I'm looking at Nebuchadnezzar. Enter the fiery furnace, he went with them. Boom. The point I'm trying to make, he was the reason they could not bow. That's what I'm trying to explain. It was not their determination, he was the reason they were not able to bow. He was the reason they were not able to bow. Why I said in, out, is that once they came out of the fire, they stopped seeing him. But he was there. It was just that when they were in the fire, the fire made him visible. God granted that through that fire, he would be visible. Once they came out of the fire, he would disappear again. But all the while he was there. Those that truly love the Lord, he, he, won't let, he won't let you. That revelation came to that lady and said, I will take care of your father. And they put a knife to this man's throat and cut it slowly, giving him time to change his mind. And the more they cut, the more determined he was. Until they cut his head off. And physically speaking, he died. But you know why didn't God deliver him? We have found out. To God, he didn't die. He just stepped from one part of the room to another part. But when we don't have understanding, we start crying. And he said, we're not supposed to sorrow like those who don't have understanding. 
Okay, why did he say, I will take care of your father. We reasoned about it. We reasoned. This was my conclusion. God was saying, they will put your father to the test. He will pass. I will take care of him. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He will pass through the furnace of affliction. He will come out of it unscathed. You won't find anything on him. Physically, say, but they cut his head. But Jesus said, no, you don't understand. Nothing happened to him. What was more important, his head or his face? He said, I held him, he was intact. If he, listen to what I want to say. If you really love the Lord, the problem we are having are those who are not sure they love him. If you love the Lord and the pressure gets too much, he will sit down and look at you and say, what is the problem? They say, you should deny me. Uh-huh. Are we going to deny me? You say, Lord, but this time around, you and him are talking. And once you start seeing the Lord, you can't deny him. Did you see Paul at any time say, I give my life to Christ? So, Paul of the Apostles, did you ever hear that? Once you see Jesus, you are giving him your life. <laughs> All this I believe is when you have not seen. Paul, there was no discussion. People say that he said, Lord. He said, Lord. No, that Lord was fear, Lord. Like a man called God and said, Oga, don't shoot me. It doesn't mean he's your God. When you call a man with a gun, Oga, what does that mean? Is it submission? No, it's fear. When he said, Lord, who are you, Lord? He was like, Oga, who you be? That was initial fear. But when he said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting, he said, ah, you are alive. Instantly, he gave his life. He was born again without saying, I receive you as my Lord and personal Savior. So when Jesus manifests himself to you, you can't deny him. So let me say, say it again. Now, this time I'm sure you can say amen. You will not deny Jesus. Amen. You won't. You won't. He, 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 you know the reason? He will not let you. Those who deny him, he didn't trust them from before. Self. He used to come to just be looking at, he said, that guy. He said, he's a Christian. You, are you sure? Jesus are looking at him funny. And most importantly, what God does for us is this. He leaves small, small things that you can handle. So in your office, they say, they say okay, you're broke. They do not pay salaries. It's lockdown. So they want to now divide office money. And say, here's your portion. And you have not eaten. Jesus said, no, don't take that one. He won't say anything. Just let you know. By your faith, this is stolen money. Walk away from it. That is where, that is when you, you know, you practice not denying him in small things. By the time they bring a knife and they put it on your neck, it's not your strength anymore. He said, "You, you did not deny me in small things. In this great thing, I will stand with you." I hope you are getting my point here. Now, how did I get into that? All right, what was I even saying? Hmm. No, I know first going there, but there was something I was saying that made me go into that. There's one particular thing I wanted to say, but oh, no, let's just continue. We'll get back to it anyway. So, I was emphasizing, listen. So, there's a real life out there. Let's bear it in mind. But what gives us this confidence? No, not confidence now. What gives us the passage, the ticket, the rights to be involved in these things is our faith in Christ Jesus. All these discussions we have had so far, Quote, listen, you know, I said something about religions of the world. Which other person ever, let's take every founder of any religion in this world at face value. 
Okay? Natural way back to God. Whatever they are, they are their own prophet, whatever you are not. Let's take everybody at the face value. Who on earth ever said he's the light of the world? Who on earth ever said I and the Father are one? Who on this earth, whoever came and opened his mouth or her mouth and said, I am the bread that came down from heaven? Nobody but Jesus Christ. Nobody. Like that, that man we met, that full animal we met that day. He said, they say when you die, you will have 70 virgins. He laughed. He said, who knows? Whoever went there apart from my Lord Jesus Christ. And he never said anything like that. You know? <laughs> he said, a matter of fact. He said, the only person who ever went back there, he said, it's my Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he was talking to us that day. I'm going somewhere here. Who, these stories we have told, which other person ever came forth with a revelation like this concerning the resurrection from the dead? No, really. Just on face value. Forget the fact whether we are telling the truth or lying. Which religion, which faith, who on this earth ever told you that, listen, there's a communion of the saints who go into the presence of the Father, who even though they are physically dead, they are yet alive. Whoever made that claim? None. They don't have it. They don't have it. They can't even, do you get my point? They, they don't have it. You know the reason? It doesn't exist for them. What is salvation? Listen, I said to you, the, the, okay, and now no, I went all of that. That Christians die happy. And they die happy because they actually see things. They die happy because in reality, when you give your life to Christ Jesus, you become literally a living spirit. It's not a joke. The resurrection of which we speak is a real thing. It is. This life for us is not all there is to it. Well, and because we so understand it, listen to me. Because we so understand this, we treat this life as a tool that we are, use, we are using to prepare for the next. I hope you're getting my point here. Yes. Because we so understand it, we understand, listen, we understand that. Whatever we find on this, you know, I said this to us before. This pulpit may look very nice and strong. It's pure hardwood, real mahogany. But so the people in the realm of the spirit, they can put their hand through like it's not there. And one day, such a body will be granted to you, granted to me. A real body that functions. Because when Jesus came, that body used to behave funny. It, it, it has a calibration. You know it's a calibration? <laughs> the frequency of vibration of the molecules. What do I mean? Let me explain. When it's time to eat, it will slow down the molecules. And what will happen? You will eat. When they lock the doors and everybody's hiding inside the house, and the, the doors are closed, what does he do? He increases the speed of the molecules and he walks through the wall. How many people have seen Matrix? That is an it is a human imagination of the spiritual body. If you remember one thing, Neil, uh, what's the name of that black guy? The, their captain, Morpheus. You know one thing Morpheus said to Neil. 
I've seen the movie, I think, only once really, so I might mix some things up. Or, well, through and through once. Neo said to Morpheus, are you trying to say that when, I'm, when I reach my, um, is when I reach my potential, I'll be able to dodge bullets? You know what Morpheus said? He said, no, my guy, you won't have to. You know, because those agents could dodge bullets. You fire, boom, boom, they move as fast as, and Neo really, at the point in time, he could dodge bullets. But Morpheus had told him that, don't worry, when the time comes, you don't dodge bullets. So the bullets will come, he'll look at the bullet, they'll pass through, come out behind him, and like, what was that? <laughs> I don't know whether you're getting the point. Before you have to dodge it to survive. Now the bullet will pass through, like, hmm, any other thing. <laughs> now that, not, I'm not joking now, that is a four. That that's a human, God allowed human beings to have a picture of what the spiritual body is actually like. Even though you cut Jesus Christ after that, could they hold him? Yes, you could hold him. Trophos. He told Thomas, come and touch now, put your hands there. Put your hand on the side. He said, touch, feel it. Don't doubt. Believe. But could they arrest him and hold him so that he can't go away? No, no. If you put cuffs on him, the cough, you increase the speed of the molecules, the, the cough will pass through the hand, it will drop on the floor. Yeah. Jesus could eat with them, but nobody could arrest him. You couldn't nail him to the cross any longer. Coronavirus couldn't catch him. I hope you're getting what I'm going to explain here. He could not, the principle of death could not work in that body any longer. But you know what? It was in the physical body. It was. If it wasn't, he would not have been able to eat. Ha! Ah, am I saying things too much this evening? <laughs> Listen to me. This is what salvation is. Believing in Jesus is the key to what I'm describing. Faith in Christ Jesus is not just the way by which you get church membership. It's not a passport to being a deacon. Say, Pastor, you know, I, I was baptized that they put my name for those who are going to become deacons in the church. No, that's not what faith in Christ Jesus is. If you know what faith in Christ really is, the human recognition wouldn't matter to you. No, it won't matter. It will not matter. It will not matter. It will not matter. Listen, this was why the saints could not deny Christ. This was why they lived the way they lived. This was, these were the things that, you have to understand, the first generation of saints, they knew Jesus personally. Let me explain this to you. They knew him personally. They knew him in the flesh. That's not the exciting one. They saw him crucified. Then, Mary went there one day and found he wasn't there. And he turned. And she turned one day. If you have taken him somewhere, please let me know. He said, Mary, oh, my teacher. She touched him. Say, said, oh, stop holding on to me. I still have some things to do. Then he left. Go and tell Peter and go. And they came and they met him. He came to the place where they were. Several times they sat down and ate together. And for the next 40-something days, he was staying with them. Oh, you think he just appeared once or twice and disappeared? No. He told them stories. What the death on the cross meant. He taught them the gospel. 
They saw him through and through and through and through. They saw the beaten body first time. Then they saw the resurrected body. When you brought a knife next and that deny him or will kill you. It was not just about the love of Jesus. They had seen a resurrected body before. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Like, what do you want to do? You will kill me the way you killed the Lord. And what will happen? After some time, I rise up again from the dead. You don't threaten such people with, with bullets. They could not be threatened. That was why it was not hard for them to be thrown to lions. And they will, st- they will stand. It was not a big deal for them. If they prayed for people like Peter not to die, it's for usefulness sake. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Did Paul not say it? He said, I'm in a straight betwixt two. Whether to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, or to stay around and be of use for you, to you. He said, look, after reason about it, my physical presence will be a blessing to you. Therefore, I will stay. He said, but whether I live or die, as long as I serve God, I glorify God in my body, that is what matters to me. And Jesus said to Peter, clearly, there's a way you will die that will give me glory. Death, they were not afraid of it. They were not afraid of it. They could not be afraid of it. Let's put it this way. They are seen too much. <laughs> they are seen too much. They had seen too much. Those people could not be afraid of death. So here, oh grave, where is that stink? It's like death. What can you do? What? You took the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw the process you went through in taking him. Then when we saw him after, we were so grateful he was taken. He came forth with a new body. This one, disease cannot attach itself to it. I hope you're getting my point here. They saw the glory of the resurrected body. Now, what are we preaching? Listen, that is, listen to me. One word Paul did not use for Christians is die. He wasn't being disciplined. He was being real. When Jesus, listen, when Jesus will use, when we tell something like, Lazarus is sleeping. You remember the story? He said, Lazarus is sleeping. They say, ah, if he's sleeping, praise God. He woke up again. Jesus said, no, you guys don't understand it. What you call die is what I just call sleep. Now, my discussion on why they say sleep. Listen to me. If they call you that Lazarus is dead and is at home, and you are absolutely certain that when you touch him, he will get up. To you, it is sleep. Remember that little girl, Jairus' daughter? He said, the girl has died. He said, no, she's sleeping. And he said, this guy, you don't understand. <laughs> we have seen dead bodies before. How old are you? You look like you are like 31 thereabout. Have they died in your family before since you became old enough? 60-year-old men were there. They, are, they had buried people many times. And you are telling him that that little girl, listen, they've opened the eyes, they've seen the pupils fixed and dilated. They checked for breath, nothing. The heart had not moved in the last one hour, even if she was not dead at the beginning, she's now dead. And Jesus said, you don't understand. Okay, how do you, what's the difference between the person who's asleep and the one who's dead? The one that can be aroused. That's the difference. 
That is, if two people are there, say one is sleeping, one is dead, they look alike. Say which one is sleeping? Hey, wake both of them. The one that answers you is the one that is sleeping. Truffles. So Jesus said, okay, let me prove to you that she's only sleeping. Tapped her and she woke up. Say to girl, I say unto you, arise. I said, okay, she was actually sleeping. <laughs> that is the thought. But the truth is that he raised her from our own dead. Now, what I'm going to say, why did he keep on using the word sleep? Sleep. Sleep. Because he said, I am the resurrection and the life. So anyone that is dead is the one I'm not planning to touch. If I'm going to touch you, you're only asleep. Did you get that? He was not disciplined on his part to say, because I've heard people say that, you know, he was confessing, he was confessing Lazarus shall live again, so he couldn't spoil his confession by saying Lazarus has died. I said, you think his faith and your own? The one we are practicing, motocar faith. You think that's what he was trying to do? I believe I received it, write it on the wall. The car is green, it's green, it's green, it's green. He has two headlamps, four tires, amen, amen. No, that's not what he was doing. He knew, he himself knew what he would do. So when he said that he's asleep, he meant it. When he said Lazarus is asleep, he meant it. When he got confused, he had to use their word to explain. What am I going to explain? Why did Peter, uh, why did um, Paul, why did he never use the word die for Christians? He kept on saying those who sleep, those who sleep in the Lord, those who sleep, even those who offend, who do not descend the body of Christ. He said, for this cause, many of you sleep. Why did he say that? Because Paul had been to the heavens. Because Paul has seen the resurrected Christ Jesus. You must understand, Paul was not taught his gospel by Peter, James, John. They only compared notes. How did he know what he knew? The resurrected Christ, you know, he said at the beginning, I have already told him in things that I will appear to him concerning later. They one, Jesus told Peter, hey, Paul, I will see you later. You see that encounter? It was the first encounter. When they were done, there are so many. There are about three encounters in the book of, uh, um, about three accounts in the book of Acts concerning that encounter. Each one you read a bit of the story, slightly differently. There's so much of that story that is not written. So much. Part of what Jesus said to him was that, we'll see it later, we'll talk about this. So a regular visitor Paul used to have was Jesus Christ. Oh, if God gives you visions of heaven, you won't be running all over the world looking for where road is good. Though. No, Jesus has not, you have not seen him yet. He has not visited you yet. It's why power failure is failing your head. When you see Christians react, you know the reality of things they have not yet come into. Let me tell you about Paul. The night of the of, of um, crucifixion, one day Jesus came and said, Paul, oh, let me tell you about it. On the night I was betrayed, we were sitting down together that day. And then, John was sitting here. You know Peter very well now. You didn't meet James, okay? All right, James was sitting here. And this and that, you know, there are two Jameses there, you know that. All right, here. Yeah. All right? And they, were, they sat like this. Then Judas left. I knew why he left. The other people did not know. And I took the cup. And it described, now, I'm not explaining something to you. It wasn't a revelation, revelation, revelation. It was a friendly chat. I took the cup. Or I took the bread. I broke it. 
I said this to them. Then I took the cup and I gave it to them. And I told them to drink it. Now this is the reason why I told them this. This is what it means. In the death on the cross, this was how Paul learned his revelation. When you read the book of Galatians, you are not reading Paul. You are reading Jesus Christ. When you read Romans, you are not reading Paul. You are reading Jesus Christ. I'm one person that believes that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. And I have my reason. I don't want to discuss that now. When you read Hebrews, the things written there, they are not humanly understandable. Only Jesus could explain it to somebody. This was how Paul had lived his life. Modern day, we have experiences like that. Number one we have there, which I know is Kenneth Hagin, doctrine-wise. The Lord appeared to him one day and said, I want to teach you about demons, demon possession, and how to cast out spirits. This is a man who open his eyes, take a piece of paper, close his eyes again, and start taking notes. He writes four points, and Jesus is dictating for him. Point number one. I hope you are getting my point. Paul had seen the resurrected Christ Jesus so much that if anyone is in Christ, Paul says, even if he dies, he's only asleep. Because I have seen the resurrection and I have seen the life. If anyone is in him, the fellow cannot die. So Paul will keep on saying, Christians that sleep, Christians that sleep. Those who sleep in the Lord. Those of us who are, awake, uh, who are alive will not arise before them. But those who sleep, they shall arise first. He kept on using the word sleep, sleep, sleep. Because he has seen Jesus that died and rose again from the dead. And let me say this to you again. He understood that this is a right of believers in Christ Jesus. They don't die permanently. They don't. They don't die permanently. They don't. They may be out of this body now. In fact, it's even been in this body. Eh? If you understand the way things work out there, you know why God doesn't give us some of those revelations? We'll be too uncomfortable. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Yeah, you'll be too uncomfortable. Because say, we're in this body, we are groaning. Not as if we want to be unclosed, so we will not be free without a body. Say, no, we want to take up a new body. Because Paul had had experience with that new body. What's my message? That's the right of believers. It's the right of believers. One day this body you are carrying, you will shed it. But you, you will live eternally. Let me say it again. This body you are carrying, one day you will shed it. But you, you will live eternally. The new body you will have, will have no blemish. No shortcoming of any sort. And you will recognize your friends. It's not as if you now going to say, who are you on the earth? No. The moment I see you, I will remember you. And those who I don't know before, I say, have we met? I don't think so. This communion of sins is eternal. I hope you are getting my point. This communion of sins is what? Eternal. You know what I believe? See this voice you are using on this earth? I don't know how God will do it. When he makes a new earth, when he gives you the resurrection body, we'll that voice will be the same. There may be a small slight, you know, a slight difference, 
but it will be the voice of a 30-year-old version of you that does not seek for any reason. You know, some people have laryngitis. And the, the voice on scratch finish. Say, ah. <clears throat> My wife, please, is there anything that I can eat? You know, because <laughs> your, your throat is dry. If you remove all those small, small things, you understand? That voice will be recognizable. How do I know? Jesus said, Mary. And she turned. Rabboni, my teacher. She recognized the voice. There was the way he called her. Said, ah, only one person calls me like that. Recognized it. Guys, you will have time to play football. <laughs> Honestly, you will have time to play. You, you know, people think that when you get to you know the, 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 the heaven or the new earth, you're just singing. Everybody, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. There's time to sing, there's time to play. Football. Football. Those of you who want to cook, they will give you kitchen too. Did Jesus not eat the fish? Oh, you, you think you don't, they don't play in heaven? They do. You think they don't laugh? They laugh. They just don't have dirty jokes. But they laugh. There's joy. There's laughter. There's peace. Listen to me. There's really a life to look forward to. There's a life to look forward to. There's a life to be willing to die, literally, for. They said, deny Jesus and I will let you live. <laughs> that is, listen, 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 listen. That I will not even, I won't take the slightest chance. I won't let anything you know, go near the chance of me making sure I enter into that new level. That new level. If you say, if you deny Jesus, you know, Jesus will still forgive you. He said, why take the chance? He said, I will not accept deliverance. Why? I want a better resurrection. The resurrection I've described today, please let me say it to you, it's not for everybody. It's only for believers in Christ. It's only for the overcomers. Those who hold on to their faith at the end. Those who reject him, there's no football for them. What I've preached to you is not a joke. It's just that you know, the problem we have these days is that we have preached so much of earth. Earth. We have preached so much of earth that Christians think that's, that's all the gospel is for. How to improve this earth. Let me tell you something. This earth will improve it as a sign of the glory of God in our lives. Somebody say amen. But it's just temporary. What I'm saying is, no matter the improvement, God will still melt it away. No matter what we do for this earth, it will still disappear. And let me tell you something you did not know. It is sooner than you think. It's sooner than you think. It's just that while we are on this earth, we can't watch things just go like they say to the dogs. The power of Christ in us has to be physically manifested. That's, that's a matter of fact. Just like we are using these bodies, so we take care of them. 
We wash the bodies every day. We feed the bodies. We exercise them. We have done them because that's what we still use now. In the same manner, we take care of the earth we are on. But just as assuredly as this physical body will disappear, more assuredly is that this earth itself will, will disappear. It will melt. There is nothing that... So, I'm going to say something here. There's really nothing looking... There's nothing to... You know, you see people talking about, uh, let's live an earth for our children. Global warming. Let me tell you what happens when Jesus comes. It's called global heating. Okay, now what are you doing? You are warming it. When Jesus comes, it's global furnace. He will melt everything. Phew! So me had this on the global warming, global heating makes me laugh. I don't believe in word of all of that. Is the globe getting warm? I don't want to get into that one now, all right? As a matter of fact, it's a cycle, okay? In your lifetime, it will become cooler again. And they will tell the same reason they are giving you now for it warming. So that's what they will tell you is making it cold that time. You say, Pastor Mark, you said, telling me, they, 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 yes, they've used this story before. In the 60s and 70s, they used exactly the same story. This, these same stories they are telling you now. Exactly the same stories was what they said was the reason why the earth was getting cold that time. But the point I'm making is that there's no point dying for this earth. It will pass away. It will. Let's read this one. I'll close with it. Second Peter. Chapter 3. This is what salvation is. Second Peter chapter 3. I'm looking for where I should start reading from. Well, let's just read a long portion because we are going to close shortly. I've spoken enough for today. He said, this is, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing. I'm reading from verse 1. I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own loss, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. That by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth by his word are being preserved for fire. Now I told you, it's burning. Kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Now, let me just quickly add out one. You will escape that destruction in Jesus' name. That is what salvation is, that we will not be destroyed with ungodly men. And I said in verse 8, But do not let this one fact escape your your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise. Basically, what it was saying in verse 8, you cannot say how long something has been. In the days of Jesus Christ, the Lord is saying it's not even up to three days yet. Alright? So you don't know. Basically, God is not, is not counting days the way we are counting them. So the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. 
but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are going to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the deal of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth. When I say you play football, I wasn't joking. Because there will be what? A new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let me just add this one to it. What is God doing with this present earth? He's selecting people that can occupy the new earth. I hope you're getting my point. Make your plans like somebody that's occupying a new earth. A new earth where you have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. A new earth where only the righteous people dwelling. What are we doing on this earth? We are just preparing to be able to, you know, enter into his new earth. This current earth has been given to us for that purpose. Whatever you are doing, put that in mind. I said something last time. Don't ever live as if there is, this is all there is to, to life. What's that? Listen, I hope I've been able to bring that across to you. That new earth is real. That new face is real. And in that place, people will be placed at different levels. Yes, as a matter of fact, when they say you'll be in charge of 10 cities, he had his reason. What I'm going to emphasize is that live life now with a mind that you'll have to live eternally in another place. And how you will live there is being determined now. It's about righteousness. It's about the walk in holiness. It's about understanding the love of God in your everyday walk. That's what it's about. This earth will pass away. If you like, carry your family, go and go to Australia. In fact, that's where you start heating up from. That's a very hot zone. I'm telling you, there's nowhere you want to run to. There's nowhere. Let me just say this one to you. There's nowhere you can run to. There's nowhere that will not be burnt up. There's nowhere. God will maintain this earth for us until he has finished picking his elect from it. Until he has purified all his people, then one day he will destroy everything. Be that in mind. Let's bow down here to pray. Let's, give the, let's continue to give the Lord thanks for the word that we have received today. If you are excited and hopeful like I am, then let's Give more thanks to the Lord and say, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing presently in us. We thank you for the preparatory process. Give a lot of thanks if you are hopeful like I am, if you're excited. God is looking, preparing people, righteous men and women that will occupy that new earth.